Acts 8, if you draw your attention to verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and who had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading and he said how can I unless someone guides me and he asked Philip to come and sit with him and the place in which he read was this from Isaiah 53 he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shears is silent so he opened not his mouth in his humiliation his justice was taken away and who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. And Father, we ask for the help and the assistance of your Holy Spirit now as we open the word of God. Help us to continue in an act of worship by just giving you our attention and even just the expectancy of our heart believing that there are things that you want to say to us through your word. So, Lord, bless your word as it goes forth. We ask that your Holy Spirit, who inspired and wrote it, would also be our instructor and our teacher, and that you'd speak to us personally what you'd have us hear from this portion of Scripture this morning. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, Jesus, on one occasion in the Gospel of John, made this simple statement. He said, if you love me, obey my commandments. Now, Jesus measured our love for him by our obedience towards him, which means that the more I am growing in my love for Jesus, the more I should demonstrate a desire to be obedient to the things that he commands me. That is, the things he's commanded in his word. That's pretty self-evident. But as well, the times where the Lord impresses things upon our hearts and just speaks to us in that still, small voice, and, and we seek to obey him, maybe rather than our feelings or our desires or our preferences in a given moment. And certainly there are lots of things that the Lord asks us to do to be obedient to him and the Bible and when he speaks to us in those personal ways. But one thing, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that's a very clear commandment for believers, Christians, followers of Jesus in the New Testament is that we are to, as representatives of the Lord, to share the way of salvation and the truth of God with others around us. That is, we are to explain to other people, as it was once explained to us, we are to explain to other people clearly their need of salvation and as well how they are to receive salvation. We call as Christians, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20, we call it the Great Commission. Many of us know what that is, that passage of scripture where Jesus 
tells his disciples as he's ready to ascend into heaven, go therefore, he says, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe the things that I commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. He says, and, and lo, I am with you always. I'll be with you if you do that to help you, he says, even unto the end of the age. In Mark's gospel, we have Jesus say a similar thing in chapter 16, Mark tells us that Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The language literally indicates as you are going into all the world. Many take that and believe that, well, that's just a missionary calling. So that means that you have to leave your little comfortable place here and, and you need to go somewhere else. You need to go over to Africa or to somewhere in Asia and, and you need to go out when the reality is the language literally is as you are going out into all the world, the supermarket, to get your mail, where you see your neighbor as you're raking your leaves and you see your neighbor across the other side of the fence as you're going in your, you know, your school system day by day as a student or your college or your workplace, as you're going into all the world, take opportunity when it's available to you to proclaim the gospel to every creature. In other words, if someone's breathing, they're a candidate. It's not real complicated. If they're breathing, they're a candidate to hear the gospel if they don't know Jesus Christ. Now listen, it's great to support the work of the Lord prayerfully, to be an intercessor. Uh, it's great to support those who are doing evangelism and missionaries and Christian ministries uh, through prayer, through finances. Those are all good things and they empower the work of the gospel being shared around the world. It's helpful to live as a Christian in a way where your testimony is healthy and it communicates clearly what it means to be a follower of Jesus so people kind of taste and see that the Lord is good and rather than being repulsed or turned off that they're actually intrigued to want to follow this Jesus that they know that you follow and those are all parts of fulfilling the command to share the gospel and they're an important need but partnering and support with those who do evangelism or praying for people to get saved wonderful as those things are, they don't still give me an excuse or an escape from actually sharing myself the message of the gospel of salvation with other people around me. And listen, I have to face the reality that that's even the distinct difference from me standing behind a wooden box in a corporate worship meeting where it would seem the right thing for me to do as a pastor and a minister of the gospel to teach the word of God, to explain the ways of God, and in the midst of that to share the gospel message in a congregational setting as a part of worship. That as a man, as a Christian, as I'm going into all the world, I too should be sharing the gospel with people as a result of what the Lord has done. Like Philip here, on occasion, opening my own mouth and sharing Jesus with someone else. The Bible is very clear that after we got saved, one of the main reasons we are left on this planet, Jesus said, is so that we would be salt and light. Salt creates something that's appetizing. It makes you want to partake of it. It creates a thirst. Light shines into the darkness. It helps people to see things more clearly. And we are to be salt and light in a dark and dying world. 2 Corinthians 2 says it this way, that through us, God diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. 
that God diffuses the knowledge of his son Jesus Christ through our lives. And just like God used another human being to share the gospel very likely with you in some setting, God now wants to use you as a Christian to do exactly the same. To be that person who then conveys the message to the next soul that God wants to reach. The question really, which is searching, we have to ask ourselves is why really is it that many Christians don't share their faith? I mean, let's, let's be brutally honest here. Many people get saved and they will admit to other people that they're a Christian and they're not ashamed to admit, hey, I'm following Jesus now, I'm born again. And they'll admit to other people that they're a Christian, but they'll never take the step personally to share with other people how to become a Christian themselves. There's a reservation there. Uh, many of us perhaps have walked with Jesus for years and there may be even in this room this morning some of you you've walked with Jesus for years and you have never led one other person to Jesus Christ there are many of us in this room maybe when we first accepted the Lord I'll be the first to raise my hand when I first accepted the Lord I couldn't stop talking about the Lord I couldn't stop telling people about Jesus. Every conversation, every opportunity, I, I, and it wasn't as if it was a, a, even a, a purposeful thing. It just was the overflow of my life and that new joy and experience of salvation. And, and yet, it's amazing what happens as the years go by. Now, all of a sudden, here we were leading people to Christ or at least sharing the Lord with people. And yet now, then sometimes it could be many years go by where we haven't actually done that anymore where we once did. And we say as Christians, we believe theologically that if a person doesn't accept Jesus Christ, then eternal torment and damnation and hell is a reality. And that's going to happen if someone dies without Christ. And we say we love people and that we have the answer to that. And yet somehow we can find rest in never sharing the antidote. What's the problem? Well, I know for me personally, if I was to be real, the problem first and foremost usually is just the wrong heart condition is I'm too proud and I'm too selfish a lot of times to open my mouth and share with other people about Jesus. I'm intimidated or concerned what their response may be. Maybe they'll get offended. Maybe they feel that I'm you know, overstepping my bounds or they might not like if I share the truth with them and in my humanity like everyone else. I can be proud or just too selfish. I'm content in my own condition. I know I'm saved and, 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 and it's enough to keep my own Christian life together and let alone think about anybody else. And, and I can in the same way way become more interested in other things rather than in people and the value of souls and that wrong heart condition is something we can all deal with and i think we need to sincerely seek the lord in those times for a change of heart lord change my heart give me an eternal perspective lord give me a desire give me a desire to want to share you with other people. Give me a burden in my heart, a concern for people's souls. And Lord, give me the spiritual boldness that only comes from your spirit to have the courage to turn a conversation to what's spiritual at times and to just speak the truth and share with other people. And I think a secondary problem for many people is this, is sometimes people just feel like they're not competent. They feel like they're not competent to share their faith or to explain the gospel message. They, they feel like, I don't know what to say or I don't even know how to go about it. Well, as we evaluate this passage, hopefully I can address the second thing. Only God can change hearts. I know that's how it works for me. Only God can change my heart. 
But the competency and the ability to be able to have some tools in the toolbox is something that we can address, as always, from the Word of God, which is always profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction and training in righteousness so that we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And the Bible says that one of my primary callings, Ephesians 4 says, as a pastor teacher, is in essence to be like a spiritual coach. To, it says to equip the saints for works of ministry. And let us never forget as a church body, the primary work of God's ministry does not happen in church worship services. This is a time where we come together to worship the Lord, to celebrate Him, to praise Him, and to be equipped and strengthened spiritually because ministry happens all week long as we're going through all the world and God's diffused us in different places like scattered seeds sown around. And that is where the majority of ministry takes place, not through the solitary efforts of ministers or you know paid clergymen and so it is through the saints all of God's people being scattered that's where ministry happens in the home in the marketplace in the school in the neighborhood in the job place as God uses us throughout the world and I thought therefore it might be a good occasion to kind of directly and specifically help us with sharing our faith as we turn the corner on a new year by doing a teaching on it here from Acts chapter 8 now the setting in Acts 8 is simply this Philip has gone to a place called Samaria and there in Samaria this great awakening takes place and the spirit of God is moving in this community it says in Acts 8 verse 5 there that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ and it says look what it says multitudes verse 6 with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. So lives are being transformed in this community. Philip goes to an area of Samaria, he preaches the gospel, and the power of God's Spirit is just really moving in this community. People are getting saved left and right, and lives are being healed and changed and transformed, and there's this incredible blessing of the ministry of God taking place in this community. And then, lo and behold, what we read in our text is right in the middle of that, God then pulls Philip, he pulls him out of that very fruitful, successful ministry that he's being used in and sends him to go share the gospel in the middle of the desert with one person. Now let me make two observations from that before we explain our text together. First of all, that shows me this, the value that God places on one soul. One soul. That God values one soul so much that God would pull someone from an existing, fruitful, productive ministry and say, you know what, there is a soul that I'm concerned about. So I'll pull you out of that because there's one soul that I want you, need you to reach because God cares about individuals. That's how much God values a soul. He pulls a prosperous, fruitful, established ministry individual from where and just put in just one soul. And he sends him out in the middle of another place to go and reach this one man, this Ethiopian eunuch. And it also shows me too the value and the fruitfulness that God puts upon one-on-one -on -one evangelism. Philip was doing mass evangelism, preaching the crowds. And God sends him out to have a one-on-one -on -one dialogue, one man to another man. And it shows that God puts a lot of value and there's a lot of great fruit that comes out on just one 
on one evangelism. Two human beings just dialoguing and relating with one another about the things of the kingdom. So a few basic points here I want you to see in this text with me. I want to just draw some things to your attention as we go through these verses that I think will help in relation to this area of sharing our faith with other people regarding Christ. The first thing we see in verses 26 through 29, and if you're a note taker, you can jot this down, and that's this, is that we should anticipate divine appointments. We should anticipate, expect divine appointments. Look with me how the text shows us this. Verse 26 says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, as he's in the midst of that successful, fruitful ministry there, and said to him, Philip, arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And the Holy Spirit tells us this was desert area. Now, Philip is there ministering and he gets this rather unusual command there we read of in verse 26. In the midst of this revival, God's using him to lead. Philip hears this command from God, Philip, I want you to pack up, head out of here. I want you to take that road, head towards the south. And the Bible then tells us in these three words, verse 26, the area that God tells him to go to was desert. Now that's purposeful. Nothing in the Bible is that's purposeful because it's emphasizing all the more, catch this, the strangeness of that command. That in the midst of what he was doing and how you know, effectively God was using him, that not only would God tell him to leave, but God would tell him to go somewhere that seems like a barren wilderness to a desert-like area. It would not make much sense to the rational thinking mind to leave what he was doing and to go out to the middle of a desert with no other explanation behind it. It would not compute logically. God was telling Philip, leave an successful, established thing where multitudes are saved and you're being used and lives are being blessed. And I want you to purposely not just go somewhere else. I want you to go to a desert. I want you to just go to the middle of a barren, hot, dry desert place. He says, I know it's unknown and there's no nat- rational reason. Again, in our modern mind, think, for example, picture it this way. Think of Billy Graham, the success and the fruit of his crusades or a Greg Laurie. And imagine in the middle of a Billy Graham crusade, he's got a few nights scheduled. You know, he's got crowds of thousands of people gathering. He's giving the gospel. Thousands are responding to Christ. And in the midst of that, he's got two more nights scheduled. And God says to him, Billy, I want you to get on a flight tonight and just go to the Mojave Desert by yourself. Just tell them to drop you off and just start walking out in the middle of the desert, right? What? It doesn't make sense. That that's not, this is what's happening here. This is an illustration of what's taking place. So from a natural perspective, it seems illogical and irrational. Why would the Lord call one man away from what he was doing already to tell him to go to a desert? Well, the reason we see in our passage is because as I said, God saw, Philip didn't, but God who sees everything God saw that there was one man who really wanted to know the truth and God's heart was concerned for that man. So God said, you know what? You don't need the explanation. All you need is a simple direction and God wanted to see that soul be reached. It tells us in 1 Timothy 2, verse 4 that God desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of of the truth. See, God intended on addressing that one person who he knew really was hungering and seeking after the truth and a spiritual answer, and he just chooses to send Philip 
to be his voice to be able to convey that very thing that the man was searching after that God wanted to reveal. Think about it. God could have, would you agree? He could have done this anyway. He's God. He could have sent an angel. He could have dispatched an angel to the middle of the desert and reached this man. Quite honestly, that probably would have been much easier. It probably would have been more effective and more successful. Angels you know, don't seem to have a lot of the issues that human beings do, but, but God doesn't do that. God instead sends Philip, a man, to be the vehicle to transport his truth regarding the things of eternal life and following Jesus Christ. And the reason for that very simply is this. God's means of evangelism in the world is human beings. If I were God, I probably would not have picked that way. But that's, he's God. He, the, through the foolish things, God confounds the wise. God uses the weak things of the world. And God's means of world evangelism is one human being looking into the eyes and talking to another human being and the Spirit of God directing that person's words in such a way that it reaches the heart and soul of another person. So amazing. This is the way God chooses to work. Philip gets this strange command. Look at verse 27, these first few words. It says, so he arose and he went. Now don't miss that. That's what I call unwavering obedience. Again, remember the strangeness of the command? And it just says, he arose and went. Considering all we just discussed, that's a remarkable step. Philip had no information. He didn't have the long-term 5, 10, 20-year plan. He just gets a solitary command from God speaking to him, and he does what? He takes the first step. He gets up, and he obediently goes. And remember, unlike us, Philip couldn't read the rest of the chapter again. <laughs> We, we, we read the rest of the chapter. Philip couldn't read the rest of the chapter. He was living the chapter. He had no idea what was on the other end of that command. He's human just like us. So his mind's wrestling through it and his heart and feelings. And he didn't know what he was getting into, but he was simply obedient. He had the command of God and he had a willing spirit and he obeyed it by faith. And without a chariot and it seems all alone, he just starts walking forward in a step of obedience, trusting God's word more than the way that he felt Within And sometimes that's how it works in life. God gives you his word. He gives you a command. And despite feelings or thoughts, by faith, you trust what God says. And you trust that he's God and he knows what he's doing. And you walk forward in that step of obedience and see what begins to unfold. It says, verse 27, And behold, as he went, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. So he was like a secretary of treasury from Ethiopia. Notice, who had charge of all the treasury, he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and now he was returning back home. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet, and the Spirit said to him, Philip, go over and overtake or come close to that chariot that you see in the distance. So as Philip's en route now, it says here in our text that he does what? He, all of a sudden now he sees this large entourage as he's walking out into the desert. <laughs> the desert for and all of a sudden now he sees this large entourage of no doubt camels and chariots. Again, this was like the secretary of treasury for all of Ethiopia. That's what it's telling us there in verse 27. He was a man of great authority under the queen of the Ethiopians, and he had charge of all her treasury. 
So this wouldn't be just somebody meandering through the desert by himself. This is an, an affluent, influential, powerful man with position. No doubt he's got servants and guards if he's the secretary of treasury and this large entourage. And here's this man again, a man who endowed with great power, great influence, he has position, he has everything the world could offer, but it seems, potentially, that even though he's got all that, he's still searching for something. He's still empty on the inside, because it says here in our text that he had gone to Jerusalem to worship. So he traveled hundreds of miles from Ethiopia to go to Jerusalem to seek the truth about God. He's trying to find spiritual answers. He, he's looking for spiritual satisfaction. He genuinely wants to worship God. And most likely, unfortunately, he probably left Jerusalem very disappointed. Because read the Gospels. We know what things were like, the religious climate in Jerusalem in that day, right? It was dead religious hypocrisy in many ways. There was sectarianism between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and a lot of hypocrisy that we see in the days of Jesus. And he probably went there looking for answers, longing for truth, wanting to sincerely encounter God and probably most likely left very, very disappointed, very disillusioned in many ways. Even as today, there are many, please realize, many who are genuinely trying to to seek God in some way, to look for answers at times when that moment comes where they're looking for the truth. And many times among organized religious circles, people get nothing but disillusion. They find deadness. They find hypocrisy. They find confusion. They, they, they find heavy burdens of religious practices and philosophies. And, and, and they don't find the genuine experience with God that they're really longing for in the depth of their soul. That they were created for. So as we look at verse 28, it says, as he's now returning home, probably, again, disappointed, disillusioned. It says, however, he's sitting there in his chariot. And he's reading Isaiah the prophet. So he has a copy of the scroll of Isaiah. Now understand, that would be very, very expensive because in that day, printing presses didn't exist. The printing press was somebody taking ink and a quill and writing on a scroll, word after word, copying over the scriptures. So it was extremely expensive to have a scroll of a portion of a full book of the Old Testament. But this guy was wealthy, so he could afford it. And he's got a copy of the scroll of Isaiah. Maybe he purchased it even there in Jerusalem. And I like this because here he is on the way home. And maybe he's very disappointed and disillusioned. But yet, he's still holding out hope. Maybe if I read this book called the Bible, God will tell me something. Maybe there's still chance to find answers and truth in just the simplicity of God's word alone. And as he's sitting there with it, Philip, as he's showing up at this moment now, he sees this entourage and he sees this man and he's told to approach the chariot to go near it. And it tells us as he's going forward, he then hears the Lord say, Philip, go over there. Now imagine here, Philip, he shows up, he sees the entourage and he's probably thinking, oh, this is peculiar. I, I didn't expect to see anybody out here. And then verse 29 says that the Spirit says to him, Philip, go over there by that chariot. And I think at this moment, Philip, as he hears the voice of the Holy Spirit, no doubt he's sensing, aha, I've experienced this before. 
It seems to me that maybe there's something going on. And as he approaches, it says, verse 30, he ran over to the chariot because he's probably excited now. Okay, finally, this is the reason. I'm going to get out of this desert. It's hot. I'm thirsty. He runs over to the chariot. And look what it says. It says, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. The reason he heard him is because culturally people would read out loud when they would read from scrolls. And what's more, what is he reading? Well, we know later from the text, he's actually reading Isaiah 53. Like one of the most clear, direct prophecies of Jesus Christ in all the Old Testament. And I guarantee you, at this point, as all the pieces are coming together, that Philip at this point is realizing, wait a minute, this is not a coincidence. This is a setup. This is a divine setup. God orchestrated all this. This whole event, God's ordained a plan here for me to meet this man. And all of these life events have coordinated in such a way because God's setting up a divine appointment. And listen, as we look at this divine appointment in Acts chapter 8, it's a reminder to us God hasn't changed. He changes not. And to this day still, we should therefore anticipate divine appointments. We should anticipate, we should expect that there are going to be times God's going to orchestrate through life events and circumstances, however they theoretically play out in all of our lives, he's going to orchestrate divine appointments to put us together with people for a divine purpose and a window. 2 Corinthians 3.9 says it's not God's will that any should perish, but all would come to repentance. We read earlier, 1 Timothy 2.4, that God our Savior desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Well, listen, if it's not God's will for people to perish, and if God desires all people to get saved, guess what God's always going to be busy doing? Trying to put Christians into the paths of people who don't know Jesus so that they don't perish and so that hopefully they'll get saved, that they'll respond to Jesus Christ. We should actually, please hear me, anticipate divine appointments. We should expectantly realize, hey, I'm going to meet someone, and there's more than a purpose of just saying hello. That there are going to be times where maybe you're left in someone's company, and there's a reason you're left in someone's company. There may be a time where somebody seeks your advice or is asking you help. They're having a life problem. They come to you, my life's a mess. It's falling apart. And listen, it may be more than just the fact that they're needing help with a life problem. It may be that they need to resolve the sincerest problem in the depth of their soul. And that as you compassionately listen and show care and love for them, that God will use you to speak the truth to them. There are going to be times when conversations unfold with your relatives, your friends, those you've connected with. And there's more than just, let's talk about the tragedy of the eagles. Or, you know, I don't know, just there's, there's, there's a greater purpose to some conversations. And if you're wise, you'll realize, man, there are more meaningful things to talk about sometimes that I can take this conversation and bring it in a way that maybe God intends that has a lot more meaning and value. So we should anticipate divine appointments. Secondly, take note of this as we go on in our story. Also, we should ask questions when we're sharing spiritually. Please don't overlook this. We should ask questions when we are sharing with people spiritually because this is where we make a mistake a lot of times. We love to talk, talk, talk and share but we fail at times to ask questions and let other people talk and just listen. Look what happens in our story. Philip ran over. He hears him reading out loud Isaiah the prophet, verse 30, and he said to the man, do you understand what you're reading? Question. Notice that. He doesn't walk and say, hey, do you know what you're reading? Let me tell you what you're reading. He asks him a question 
and he gives him a chance to respond, and he listens for a moment. As this guy's reading Isaiah 53, Philip inquires with a question. He senses this is a divine appointment, no doubt. And even though he is very probably sure at this point in his heart that the Lord is leading, I mean, he hears a guy reading the Bible. It's a pretty good indicator. And he's reading Isaiah 53. That's a, a greater indicator that this is a divine appointment. But notice he still chose to use a question first. And I can't help but to take notice of that. He wisely inquires tactfully and respectfully, and can I go further to say lovingly, he didn't just barge up and start telemarketing the gospel. Now, who has not been on the receiving end of the phone ringing, right? And you get someone, you get, hello, hi, uh, is this Monta, Mr. Montema funeral? <laughs> and then what happens? They are off to the races, abusing your ears with an overload of information. They didn't pause to ask, can I have a few moments of your time? Are you in the middle of something? And they just massively, without asking permission, begin to violate your time and just tell you all this information, whether you're interested or not. And I think one of the reasons that's so unsuccessful is because it shows no respect or concern for people. It shows no value for people. What it indicates is I just want to push my product because I want to feel good that I pushed my product or I'm being told I have to push my product. And I think that's a good illustration, a life lesson for all of us as Christians. Because as Christians, yes, we're told to share the gospel, but even if we're sure the Lord is leading, don't just unsensitively telemarket the gospel. Don't feel there's a need to just begin, allow the Lord to let people sense that you love them, that you actually care about them. And, and take time to inquire spiritually and not just indict people spiritually. And here's the reason behind this. Because if the Lord has opened the door, and maybe you sense he's opened the door, but if the Lord's opened the door, what's the big rush? What's the big rush? Jesus said, what doors I open, no man can shut. If the Lord's opened the door to give you access to speak to someone spiritually, what is the big rush if Jesus has opened the door Oftentimes, I like to ask people questions and just listen for a bit to say to someone, so can I ask a question? Do you have any spiritual beliefs? And listen to what they say. Have you ever read the Bible yourself? What do you believe? How do you believe is the way to get to heaven? And, and here's, there are benefits to asking questions. I don't just say that nonchalantly. The benefits are things like you can find out where a person's at spiritually. And if you find out where they're at spiritually, you'll be a lot more effective being able to connect and communicate with them because you know where they're coming from. Maybe they're a blank slate. Maybe they've never been to church in their whole life. Or, or maybe they grew up in a, in a particular way of a religious experience. So, you know, hey, this might, be a, this might be a trigger button. If I push that, I may lose their attention. They might get offended by something like that. And, and it will give you a better sense of how do I lovingly and respectfully relate to that? How can I build a bridge from where they're at and be able to, with more wisdom, communicate with where they're at. It also allows you, when you ask questions, to sense a person's openness. It's almost like, you know, poking the food to see if it's done kind of a thing. You can find out by asking questions and kind of just listening a little bit, instead of just overloading with information, you can find out, wait a minute, are they kind of just seeking right now? Or are they about as ripe as any fruit could be to just... There's ready to be plucked off the tree. You can get a sense of where they're at. 
in the timing of God working in their life and drawing them, and it will also let them see that you care about them and you're not just trying to accomplish some spiritual agenda, which will turn people off very quickly. Because many times then they sense an insincerity to think you're just trying to accomplish a task. So ask questions. It's a great tool. Ask questions when you're sharing with people. Next, notice we should recognize and embrace open doors because look how the story goes on. Philip asks the question. The response comes back. Verse 31, he says, how can I understand what I'm reading unless somebody guides me? Oh, this is starting to get good. And then he asked Philip to come up and sit with him in the chariot. So here the door swings wide open. The Ethiopian man gives him an invitation. He genuinely wants to learn more. He actually invites Philip. He says, you asked, how can I understand it? I don't know how to understand. I need somebody to guide me. You wouldn't be able to do that by chance, would you? Well, sure I can. Well, hey, how about, how about, let's talk. I'll go come up here in the chariot. Sit up in here. Just, you know, go get this guy a cappuccino, you know, whatever. Let's, let's, let's explain this. Help me understand this. I'm looking for answers. If you can guide me and give me a little more insight, I'd greatly appreciate that. But again, he's invited to do that. So now the, the open door is right there. He's asked to come and sit with him. And I love the way this unfolds because I love how it shows me how when the Spirit of God is working, he's working on both ends. He's working in the lives of two different individuals for that moment when they'll you know, have that crescendo of a meeting in their lives. And God's prepared the heart of the Ethiopian eunuch. He wants to know the truth. He's trying to find the truth. And because of that, he's saying, hey, man, if you know the truth and you can help me, I'd gladly love to listen. Let's talk. Let's dialogue. And God was working on Phillips and drawing him out there. And I love how God always works on both ends. When God is up to something, he's working in lives of people before they ever meet. He's orchestrating events. And just like Philip, when these times happen, we need to recognize they're happening and we need to embrace the open door. Expect an open door, expect a divine appointment, but then you have to embrace the open door. Be sensitive and aware to what the Lord's doing. Sometimes doors swing open that are blatantly obvious like this. Other times, maybe the door is kind of just more slowly, gradually opening up, but you have to pursue those open doors in faith and don't miss the eternal windows. When God's opening the door, don't miss it. Pay attention. Be sensitive spiritually when you realize maybe God's orchestrated a relationship or a friendship or a partnership or somebody that you meet or that you're working with, that God is potentially putting something together and realize that open door. Now, on the other side of that, there's another part of that truth. In the same way we have to recognize and embrace open doors, it also means we have to acknowledge and accept if the door is not open. And if the door is not opening, that means we have to be careful that we're not pushing people because perhaps they're not ready yet. Maybe their heart's not tender and responsive yet. Maybe God's still working on them and grinding them down a little more through whatever ways he's doing that in their life. And the same way we got to embrace open doors, we have to be careful because sometimes conversations are only supposed to go so far. And don't let spiritual zeal make you be so over-anxious that you want to get another notch on your gospel belt. That you bombard someone in such a way, if you're not careful, because you can push them further away. And so there's two sides of this, and we have to be sensitive in the process. Another thing I think we have to do is be ready to answer questions when we're asked, because he says, hey, come up here. 
Can you guide me? And what's he reading? Verse 32 and 33. We read it there. A quote from Isaiah 53. He's genuinely seeking God's word. He wonders what this refers to. That's why verse 34, he says to Philip, tell me, uh, whom does the prophet say this of himself? This description from Isaiah 53 says, is he talking about himself or is he describing another man? Now that's a pretty loaded question. Bible verse, he asks a loaded question to a believer. This is a wonderful occasion. Philip, verse 35, it says, opens his mouth and beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. I want you to take note of this. Be ready to answer questions. He asked Philip a question. What does this Bible verse mean? Or who's this man talking about? He asked a legitimate loaded spiritual question. And Philip is ready to answer his question. It says, Philip opened his mouth. And can I just say, that's a necessary step. That's the hardest part for all of us as Christians. But there are times where we have to come to the place where we actually, that's the hardest part, open our mouth and share. And not be afraid to share the truth. Not be afraid of the repercussions or their responses or will they like it or won't like it or like me still or not. Listen, if they ask an honest question, the most loving thing you do is share the honest truth. If they ask spiritual questions about sin or Jesus or hell or heaven, or just answer those questions. And we have to be prepared to answer those questions. And the best way we can be prepared is to know the word of God. The Bible tells us that Peter said, sanctify the Lord in your hearts and be ready to give a defense or answer to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you. Which brings me to another point that I think we should take notice of, and that's this, is when we're sharing Jesus and sharing the gospel Always use Scripture. Always use Scripture. Do you notice it says here, verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this Scripture, he preached Jesus to him. I think this is an important point because Isaiah 53 was the particular passage that they were in. He used that Scripture to then explain that that was about Jesus Christ and the way of salvation. Now, we may not get that clear of a platform. That would be great, wouldn't it? If every time you got to share your faith... You know, hey, I'm reading uh, John 3.16. I'm wondering, what does Jesus mean here? But, I mean, that'd be great, if, if, but that doesn't always happen. Somebody may not have a Bible with them. They may have never read the Bible. However, the important principle of using the Scripture in personal evangelism still stands. It's a valuable, valuable thing because my words summarizing the message of the gospel and explaining salvation, they may be theologically correct and they could be helpful. I can say to someone, listen, you know, we all make mistakes and we're sinful and God loves us though. And Jesus came from heaven and he lived on earth and he died on the cross and he rose again. And if you ask Jesus to save you, that's theologically correct, right? And that's helpful. But it's nothing like just using the scripture and, for example, saying to someone, there's no difference. You see, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God demonstrates his love in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And though the wages of our sin is death, the gift of God's eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Because if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, and that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. See, the second is just scripture verses. Now, I didn't even have to say, let me quote a few scriptures for you. you just, it, the word of God is what has power and potency. The Bible says it's God's word that doesn't return void. Never promises my words don't return void. My words return void a lot of times. You're probably all living proof of that every Sunday. 
But God's word is what has power and potency because it's God's word. And that's why it's the most valuable thing to sow into people's hearts. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit. When there's an opportunity, you don't have to quote chapter verse, just plant the word of God in people's hearts. Because the Bible says the entrance of your word gives light. When you sow God's word into somebody's heart, light spiritually illuminates their soul. It tells us that Peter said God's word is like incorruptible seed. Jeremiah says that God's word is like a hammer that breaks through rock. So as you give somebody God's word, you expose them to God's word. They lay there in bed at night and their heart may be hard as stone. But the word of God, because it's alive and powerful, man, it just chisels away at that heart and God just chips away and chips away and chips away because that word, the word of God just resonates in their being and it will never return void. The point is, yes, speak to people the truth, but whenever you can, share the scripture in so doing. Incorporate a scripture. Can I show you a Bible verse? Can I share? Maybe it's just one Bible verse. But hide God's word in your heart so that you can share the actual word of God. It has much more power and effect. Finally, notice one last thing from verse 35 before we conclude, and that's this. And I think this is critical in sharing our faith as well. And that's accentuate or emphasize Jesus. Accentuate or emphasize Jesus. Look what it says, verse 35 again. Beginning at this scripture, I love the way this reads, he preached Jesus to him. Hey, if we're going to share our faith, we shouldn't be preaching church to people. Hey, I got a really great church, man. Come to my church. We shouldn't be preaching denominationalism. We shouldn't be preaching a religious lifestyle. Hey, man, you got to clean up your act. You need to get a little more religious. You need to start reading your Bible. Those are all great things. But none of those things save people. Jesus saves people. The church didn't die for anybody's sins. A pastor didn't die for anybody's sins. Jesus died for people's sins. And people need to know Jesus. They need to meet Jesus. And so therefore, when we're speaking to people, always keep the focus there. Because you ever notice when you talk to people, you'll start to try and share. And a lot of times they'll divert the conversation. Well, Catholicism or Baptist church or that. And and they'll want to take the conversation other directions. And that's okay. Don't get disrespectful. But keep bringing the point back to Jesus. Keep bringing it back to Jesus. You know, I love what, what in the scripture says, you know, statements like, what will you do with Jesus who is Christ? I, Jesus said, who am I to you? Who am I to you? I know the world says, but, but who am I to you? And that's the point we want to bring back to all the time is to keep bringing the focus back to Jesus. Talk to people about Jesus. What did Jesus do in your life? Who is Jesus to you? Because that's what people need to hear and it's him that people need to encounter. It's not, again, it's not the philosophies and ways, it's the person of Jesus Christ. It's all vehicle to talk to people about Jesus Christ. Our job is to bring Christ to men. God's job is to bring men to Christ. We're not accountable for the results. Now in this situation, verse 36 and 37 show that this man was converted. Praise the Lord for that. But our job is just to bring Christ to men and trust God to bring people in his time to Christ.